1: Manchester United are stuttering through the months of February and March but move back into the Premier League's top two with a 1-0 home win against West Ham that followed a gutting late draw with AC Milan at home in the Europa League. Welcome back to the Manchester United weekly podcast. We're looking back at those two games plus ahead to the second Milan leg in Italy and as always you'll get your regular youth loan and women's roundup. Jack, we'll start with West Ham before we move on to Milan. It was was not a, in fact it wasn't a completely uncomfortable game but it wasn't comfortable either we played against a, a David Moyes side who came to do what basically David Moyes did when he was United manager, which is sit back and, and bore fans into into sleeping. That was until we opened scoring with a, a little bit of fortune, but a bit of fortune is what we needed to win against a good defensive side who, who sat there in a deep block and, and at the end of the day, with a, a, a four or five major injuries, all Oregon and Solskjaer's side had to do was win.
0: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly comfortable game, especially towards the end when having just seen Milan score a late equaliser and then Everton doing the same, what, six weeks before it it felt like that could be another really awful late goal to, to concede that was coming up at the end of the West Ham game. We did manage to hold on. And to be fair, despite the fact that it wasn't particularly comfortable, I actually think that was one of our better performances against a deep block in quite a long time. You know, This wasn't a case as it has been recently of United failing to create chances and relying on whether it's a penalty or a piece of brilliance from Fernandes or Rashford, whoever it might be past the first 20 minutes when we weren't particularly good, which Solskjaer acknowledged after the game, we created good chances pretty consistently throughout the game. And, you know, you go back just a week and a half to games against Palace, that not at all something that was happening in, in that game on another day this could have been a, a, a great 4-0 yeah. win with you know Rashford Tedders in the first half. You know, Greenwood hitting the post twice. We had the chances to really run, run away with the game. And on another day, it had been a 4-0 win. And we're talking about you know, this United side really taking apart a West Ham team that are in very good form at the moment. So it wasn't comfortable in the end. But to be honest, I think one of our better performances in, in recent times. Yeah,
1: it was, it, was, it was one of those games which uh, backs up gives evidence for the the old saying that it, it no in fact it's not the old saying maybe the more modern thing of well it's not always the results that are the most important in in kind of showing how the team has performed. And and that was true. You're right. Two Rashford headers he should have scored one of them. One of them was a little bit di- more difficult. Mason Grimm had hit the post twice. Fabianski was in good form. It, it was kind of this was a a one 0 win at home where we'd won through a fortunate own goal, but it didn't feel like that at all because we had created those chances so as you say yeah a decent performance not not entirely convincing and the finishing should have been better and there was still some really poor passing some really poor uh, poor decision making in the final third and and just that final ball wasn't always there I think a lot of people would have been frustrated with Dan James with with regards to that even though in in other aspects his performance was good but also some impressive defending and if you have to pick out your three best players of that game I'd say Mason Greenwood would be one of mine and we'll come on to him in a second but Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw were both excellent again and Maguire just clearing and intercepting and, and blocking cross after cross countless number of times and it, it wasn't just those aerial ones that we're kind of used to seeing from him that is is one of his strengths winning those aerial battles but it was those low crosses as well he was getting across to to stop those coming in and I think Maguire had one of his well I'm I'm not going to say one of his best performances but he was probably United's best player on the pitch especially in the second half
0: yeah it was very very good that was in the second half especially this was actually I think a, quite a dangerous situation for us defensively it's the type of situation that we've been caught out in many times this season when we're pushing so many men forward trying to break break a team down and I mean Antonio is, is one of the best forwards you could wish for in a counter-attacking setup like that and it did look like that might be a vulnerability for us with Maguire and Lindelof back there against him. But Maguire was excellent all day. I think the biggest thing for me was just how quick Maguire was when West Ham were in their deep block before we scored, at snuffing out those counter attacks before they could develop. He wasn't trying to back off from Antonio and you know hoping to give himself a head start in a potential foot race. He was staying really tight to Antonio, stopping him from being able to turn in the first place, and it allowed us to start hemming West Ham. In especially towards the end of the second, uh, sorry, towards the end of the first half, then in the second half when West Ham started to push more men forward, started to put us under a bit of pressure. it was just everywhere. It felt like the ball was a magnet to to Harry Maguire, whether it was from headed clearances, from crosses, from low crosses, cutting out passes. He he was brilliant all day, and Luke Shaw as well, as you said, carried on his great form. It was a moment towards the end, I think, about the eighty sixth or eighty seventh minute when. Shaw was sort of hemmed in the corner there was three West Ham players around him he he stops on a dime turns and then plays a a neat little ball into Fred to get out of a really tight situation and and set us away to get out of that little uh, situation so I mean Shaw's form is no surprise at this point he's been brilliant for the last two or three months he's I think at the moment probably the best fullback in the country he's playing brilliantly but from Maguire this was yeah a a brilliant brilliant performance
1: Sure. Yeah, I remember. I, I was saying. I said about halfway through the the first half, Luke Shaw is is our best attacking player. Now, by the end of the game, Greenwood had had come into it and and done some really good things, and Bruno was being typically Bruno, kind of uh, the occasional frustrating bit, but also some some pieces of of excellent play. But sure, just the uh, the consistency in, in his attacking and defensive quality is is enormous. Um, Lindelof played well as well, but but McGuire and Shaw definitely the standouts. I thought it was interesting because. we're we're going to be welcoming back Paul Popper soon, not to the show, but to United's team. And um, this was maybe one of the last times we'll see McTominay Fred kind of having to be played. It it will be played again out of choice, but for, for the next few weeks, at least this might be one of the last times, except perhaps Milan where it has to be played. And going up against a deep block, that's not, the ideal, I don't think any United fan would, would pick that out as their first choice midfield. And we, we've spoken about how much we've missed Pogba. On the other hand, that all throughout the season, there's been signs of improvement from McTominay. Now, the goal hasn't gone down as his and and shouldn't because it, it, I mean, I it looked like it kind of clipped him a bit, but it wasn't going on target. But anyway, the improvement is is, I'm not going to say minimal, but just very, uh, just a little. And he, he's gradually getting the confidence to play those kind of pinged vertical passes more into the feet of attackers. He's getting the confidence to play more of those diagonal passes that switch to play and really open the game up. And and it it shows not just in the eye test, but statistically as well. I'm not going to, read them all out, but uh, someone compiled these on Twitter and his pass completion has improved. The total distance of passes he's making per game is improving. His completion in terms of short passes, medium passes and long passes has all improved. And these, it's only by a couple of percentages on each occasion, but these are the, the small improvements that you hope to see from a player and I think we're we're seeing it on the pitch, and to have it backed up statistically is is comforting because you know you're not just kind of seeing things in rose-tinted glasses.
0: Yeah, I think McTominay's progression throughout the season has been it's been gradual. It's not as if he's come back, you know, immediately from the start of the season and sort of hit the ground running and been a completely different player. But I think throughout the year we've seen him slowly improve with the ball at his feet we've known for a long time how good he can be defensively how well he covers the ground and he can make this midfield partnership with Fred that is very good for us in big games in sort of shielding the back four what you wanted and what we spoke about for for so much time on this podcast is that we want a midfielder who can do that defensive job that McTominay does but be better at, at setting us away on attacks McTominay, you know, he's not perfect at it, but he he certainly has improved throughout the season. I think you're starting now to see him separate himself from Fred a little bit in terms of what he offers us. When he plays alongside Fred at the moment, and this isn't a slight on Fred, it's just that they're they're different players and offer us different things at this point. McTominay is much more aggressive with his passing. He passes forward vertically through the line so much more than than Fred does. I think the biggest thing for me is just that McTominay even when he isn't passing the ball forward even if it's forward or backwards the, the ball moves so much quicker when it comes into McTominay than it does to Fred and with a lot more accuracy and precision and it, and it makes a big difference to us there were a few times against West Ham where he played some great balls into Dan James and, and yeah. Greenwood especially as he was trying to sort of passing the ball around the corner getting us through that West Ham midfield which wasn't easy because West Ham was set up you know very very well organised it, it's, a, it's a slow progression you know I don't think McTominay's ever going to be a A Michael Carrick type of player who can just, you know, see these 30, 40 yard forward passes in his sleep, but he is slowly getting there. And I think you're seeing that progression come through over the course of the season. Yeah,
1: definitely. Now I said, we talk about Mason Greenwood and kind of moved on from the point, but Greenwood has, I think, had a really good last month or so without ever really contributing in terms of goals. Uh, and but I don't see that as a concern and the the performance against West Ham kind of convinced me that at some point in the next couple of weeks he will score and then he'll start picking up goals again because last season I can't remember exactly how many he got but well into the double figures and he was not far off of, of uh, Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial this season only one Premier League goal but his last few performances has been so lively. He's been isolating defenders one-on-one. He's been getting past them. He's been shooting with both right and left. He hit the post twice against West Ham and has set up a few really good chances over the last few weeks as well that haven't been finished. And it it, it feels like we're just kind of waiting for the Greenwoods train to start rolling again in terms of goal scoring.
0: Yeah, he was brilliant against West Ham. He really was. It's, it's been a weird season for Greenwood because I mean, when he's played, he's not... I don't think he's done anything particularly terrible and we've said before that we're not worried about his form or anything what that means for his future he's been a little bit unlucky with rotation he's been a little bit unlucky with some of the chances that he's had just not falling the right way but I think the biggest difference to me is just that he was so much more involved against West Ham than he has been before I don't think he's ever been hiding when he's played for United but I just for whatever reason whether it's his movement whether it's because he wasn't playing in particularly good teams at that point. He, he hasn't really been involved in the game too much, but his involvement at West Ham was huge. Everything good that United were doing, Greenwood was involved in. He, he really did deserve at least one, probably more than one goal throughout the, the course of the game. And I think you're right that we will see him soon get get that goal. That's going to give him the confidence, then go on a great run of form because you can see all the talent that, that is there and it's everything that we've been excited about for a couple of years now you know the ability to to run at a man to use both feet to shift the ball and get your strike away so early I mean both the chances that he, he hit the post from in the first half and then in the second half you know he created those chances very very well for himself and was unlucky not to score at least one of them I'm I'm still so excited by what Greenwood has to offer in the future I think it's just a case of getting him getting getting his confidence up which hopefully will come with a goal and the sky remains the limit. This is p- perfectly normal in the course of most young players' careers to have sort of dips in form like this where things aren't going your way. And it's a good learning experience to figure out how you can sort of pull yourself out of that, that sort of slump.
1: Yeah. It was it was interesting that Solskjaer didn't use his, his subs bench against West Ham. This is the United team who looked tired against Milan, and we're going to talk about Milan very shortly um and but the reality was the only attacking options on the bench were 17-year-old Shola Shoretire from the academy and 18-year-old January signing Amad Diallo um and and apart from that we had two goalkeepers i think four defenders it, it's just it was a sign of where the injuries have come in this united team and how impactful they've been and also how how thin or how fragile those notions of squad depth were at United that we spoke about only two months ago. The squad depth at United looked fantastic when Cavani was fully firing, when Martial was his kind of understudy, when Rashford was fully fit and playing well, when Bruno was in great form and when Dan James was just beginning to find his form again and we knew that Greenwood would soon find it. Suddenly when two of those players get injured and, Bruno, and I think importantly Bruno stops being in, in fantastic form that's when those notions of squad depth kind of disappear and you suddenly realise that United have a starting eleven already weakened and and not much more when it comes to the attack. Obviously, they're, they're massive misses. Um, but yeah, he didn't go to sub and I guess it's a, a way to move on to Ahmad Diallo. I kind of understood why... It's kind of a week where we should really talk about game management again. We've mentioned it quite a lot. Against AC Milan, it was poor. Those substitutions... That Solskjaer made helped Milan back into the game and and prevented United from seeing it out comfortably I mean we, we were fortunate to be ahead and we wasted that opportunity to go to Milan with a, a one goal lead against West Ham he clearly trusted his starting eleven to do the job and I don't kind of I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that to be honest
0: yeah, it's an unusual way to to deal with the game. I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I, I saw a, a Premier League game where one manager made no subs substitutes. I completely agree that the the subs against Milan, I think, was completely the wrong way to to see out the game. Yeah, that's not to say that it's all Solskjaer's fault that we concede a last minute header from a corner. But you know, when when you're one 0 up in a game and your substitutions are taking off Bruno Fernandes for a defensive midfielder. Taking off Dan James for a left back in Luke Shaw, and then switching out your right back, which I, I understand because Wembasak has played a lot of minutes, but you know that it just sets your team up that okay, we're we're going to sit on this one goal lead and and just defend and hope for the best. Which, as we've seen plenty of times throughout the season, this United team isn't really set up to do. So, I, I thought Solskjaer deserves some criticism for that. Yeah, the uh, there was a lot of talk on on Twitter as I thought there would be about not making any subs. I'm with you that I don't think it is a huge deal. You know, we, we who are we going to bring on, really, at, at that time? Unless we were going to go very defensive, which we shouldn't have done, and take off one of the front four and bring on a, a midfielder or another defender. What what else could we have done, really, in, in that situation? That The injuries that have hit us in a bad time and all in the same area. And it doesn't help that Paul Pogba has also been out for a while because having yeah. Pogba in there, if, say, Cavani and Martial were injured... Would at least allow us to cover up for some of those weaknesses with a bit more creativity behind. But as you said, we've sort of had the the triple storm at, at the same time of Fernandez's form dropping off, Martial and Cavani getting injured, and Pogba also being injured at the same time, which does leave us leave us really short changed. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not so worried or critical of United's squad depth in light of these injuries. Squad depth is always quite a tenuous thing. You've seen it with squads up and down the country and are in various leagues across Europe that a few injuries in one area of the pitch is going to almost decimate any team around the world, unless you're talking about, you know, maybe Man City as one of the few teams that could actually survive that.
1: Yeah, I I, I guess the, the expectations have been set differently by City. But that's not to say that every other club should be like that because no other club really can afford to be like that. I think, I mean, the Milan game was disappointing in the end. And to be honest, the performance was really poor as well. And as I said a couple of minutes ago, we were were lucky to be ahead and we failed to kind of capitalise on that fortune. But we can really reserve more analysis for after the second leg depending on whether United have got through or not if United make up for a bad performance at home by going and winning away then that's fine it's, that's knockout football I think the the main thing to talk about is is Ahmad and four minutes after coming off the bench it was a lovely goal a really great goal and so happy for him
0: I mean what was an intro as well firstly Fernandes' ball you're, you're kind of waiting often when United play for Fernandes to produce a moment like that and he didn't disappoint that was a, a, a seriously brilliant ball to pick out one of the smallest players on the pitch and actually a, a very very good header as well it reminded me a lot of uh, Hernandez's against Stoke way back in probably 2011 or 2010 or something and he sort of flicks it backwards into the net and it, yeah it was a, a great header and it was a good performance from Ahmad as well even after that he was neat and tidy on the ball showed some of the glimpses of the exciting player that he can be I mean I'm excited to hopefully see him get a few more opportunities. He was the one player that i I thought might come on against West Ham and would be sort of a sensible substitution. i guess maybe Solskjaer didn't want to bring him on in a in a Premier League game maybe he doesn't trust him quite that much yet but i mean it's exciting science I, from I was
1: just gonna say i think it's about i mean he he's i tell you what's what what's great is that he's coming to the team and he looks like a really talented eighteen year old who loses the ball sometimes. And that is kind of the best you could hope for. He looks like an 18-year-old who could do anything but will lose the ball a lot. I think that's why he didn't come on against West Ham. But I'm also saying that is as a, a massive positive thing. The The way he settled in, I don't think should be underestimated. Just all of his appearances so far, he's just looked really exciting. And, and that's that's not that easy to do.
0: I mean Fernandez is 27 and loses the ball a lot so <laughs> yeah. so there's definitely not a reason to say that he can't play all the time but no I think it's it's fair yeah and I think being a, a player like that that's, that loses the ball a lot is pretty much part and parcel of being a young player and trying to stake your claim They're desperate to to make an, a, an impression to you know have a, an influence on the game which is inevitably going to lead to to lead, lead to losing the ball and it's also just a step up you know physically and and mentally as well from what amad has been used to in the under 23s he's you know he wasn't in Serie A with Atalanta but playing very few minutes yeah so this is a a different kettle of fish for him really and it's going to take some time to settle in but i, th- I think it, it shouldn't be underestimated how well he's done when he's been given the opportunities so far
1: i also i, I don't think it should be forgotten that if you watch him play and and the game against, uh, I I I mean, just a small note, funny that he came on for injured Martial in exactly, well, not exactly the same way, but in a similar fashion to Marcus Rashford and then scored in the Europa League. But when you watch him and that was his longest appearance in any uh, moment of senior football, he's never played longer than 45 minutes in a single game. So that's pretty significant. But, the way, and, and I noted this when I watched him in the under-23s as well, but his his contribution all over the pitch, not just on the ball, is is really good. His positioning in terms of hanging out and hugging the wing when he needs to, coming inside, dragging people around, but also tracking back and helping out in defence and the way he presses people. His work rate is outstanding and that's that bodes really well.
0: Yeah, and I mean, th- those are the little things that really endear someone, both to fans and probably more crucially to a manager as well. Those are the things that get picked up on in trading and and sort of give you a little bit of an edge in selection dilemmas. I I think Ahmad has shown little flashes of what he can do. But in general, yeah, his his positioning, his understanding of how the game is moving and where he needs to be in relation to how the game is moving has been really strong. And I'm excited to see him hopefully get a few more minutes. Again, it's another reason why it would have been lovely to... Get a one nil win over Milan rather than the draw because it would have allowed you to maybe take a little bit more of a risk with giving Ahmad to more minutes in the yeah. second leg where maybe now we won't take as much of a risk with our lineup. But I mean, it's really exciting to to see him come in and and do so well. But also, he he hasn't he hasn't grabbed the headlines. You know, he's not. Which I and I say that both in a good and bad way. <laughs> yeah. We want him to be. You know, lighting the world on fire and scoring every time he comes on. But in some ways, it's actually good that he's not in the limelight quite so much. There was obviously a lot said about Shola Shoratire, who sort of got his debut at the same time as Ahmad. This isn't the kind of thing where it's, there's now tons of pressure and so much hype around Ahmad. He's, I think, has a bit more time, a bit more leeway to kind of settle in and find his feet at United.
1: Yeah. Right. Talking about the second leg, we're going to move on to that after the youth load and women's round up. A good week for United's under-18s who progressed in the FA Youth Cup with a comfortable 2-0 win against Salford City at a rainy, windswept Peninsula Stadium. For a full report and analysis of that game as well as a profile on Isaac Hansen-Aaron, become a patron of the podcast and you get a bonus episode from last week on that subject. United are going to host either Liverpool or Sutton United in the fourth round of the competition. The under-18s followed up that midweek win with a 6-0 rout of Sunderland. Alejandro Garnacho scored twice, as did Noam Emran. McNeil and Verf got the other two, but it was probably Hanson aaron who had the best game. He's had an excellent week starting both games after being in Norway for the last two months. First games back and one of the best players on the pitch in both of them. Grimsby Town youth team player Ben Griss looks set for a big move to the Premier League with Manchester United understood to be on the verge of signing him according to local reports this week. The under-23s had a tough game at on Friday afternoon. Captain Will Fish was sent off after five minutes and that left United with a lot of defending to do but they responded really well. Joe Hugo was leading the attack, holding the ball up well and making good runs and a good first touch as well really made United's job easier. Ethan Galbraith was excellent in both central midfield and centre-back, switching between the two on two occasions during the game and goalkeeper Mate Kovar made five or six brilliant saves as well. The final result was 0-0, a rare stalemate for the under-23s but a decent result and a very good experience actually in the end. Shoulder Shuratera has been named Premier League 2 Player of the Month for February. In low news, James Garner played 90 minutes for Nottingham Forest in a 1-1 draw against Reading. Ethan Laird played twice this week for MK Don, staying injury-free so far there, which is brilliant news for him. Facundo Pellistri played really well for Alaves in a 1-1 draw against Cadiz. He completed more take-ons than any other player on the pitch. Deshaun Bernard played in midweek for Salford as a sub but not in the FA Trophy final win against Portsmouth because he was cup-tired, having played for United against Salford in the competition earlier in the season. Thies Chong played 62 minutes for Club Bruges in a 1-1 draw with Charleroi. Andres Pereira is still only a rotating sub for Lazio. And Ted Menki has been drawing comparisons to uh, Ficayo Tomori, a Chelsea centre-back who went on loan at at Derby and did really well. He played 90 minutes twice this week and earned some praise from Wayne Rooney. United's women's team play Arsenal this Friday in a big clash Friday, 6.30pm. Um, recommend watching that. It should be a really good game. Okay, Thursday, away in Italy, Milan. We've spoken about how the, the late goal has made things very, very different. It was, it, it was a great... Well, we spoke previewing the game about the injuries that AC Milan had and the fact that United should capitalise on that. Now, of course, United had our own injuries and the, the injury halfway through to Martial, but also more importantly, I think, to, to Paul Pogba, who often flourishes in in these Europa League games or European games, um, as well as in, in recent months before he got injured in in domestic games. It, it, it was a shame. Going into the second leg, I think Milan are hoping to welcome back quite a few of their players. United will be doing the same. It looks like Martial and Cavani will definitely be fit. De Gea should be available. I'm not sure whether they'll play. Pogba and van der Beek are a maybes. That seemed to be what Solskjaer was saying. I can't see many of them starting, to be honest it's it's, it's how, how do we approach this game? Do we go with Matic to kind of protect us? Do we go with McTominay and Fred to be mobile? Do we play Rashford again, even though he's, I mean, the commitment he's showing to carry on playing with both a short-term ankle injury and a longer-term shoulder injury is is should be applauded, even if he's not scoring goals. It's, it's a difficult one. Or do we start Ahmad?
0: <laughs> I'd be surprised to see any of the players that were injured come straight back in. I don't think we'll see much yeah. different from the weekend, to be honest, thinking a, in a away time in, the, in Europe, Solskjaer will probably lean towards McTominay and Fred as the midfield to try and counter some of Milan's threat. You know, we didn't play particularly well on Thursday in the first day and probably would have been lucky to come away with a 1 0 win. And I think that will stick in Solskjaer's mind that Milan do carry a serious threat and we need to, to have that McTominay Fred partnership in there to stop that. But it wouldn't surprise me to see some some quite early changes if it remains nil nil at sort of fifty sixty minutes. You know the the late goal we can see does really change the dynamic of this game now because we can't afford to to sit back and try and soak up pressure. Not that that was an effective strategy really to begin with, but now you know <laughs> yeah. we have to score at the San Siro. We have to score to be in with the chance of winning this game. So, it's a pretty precarious position, and I don't envy Solskjaer here because we do have to go for it. We do have to make sure that we're putting our stamp on the game. But, you know, a, a Milan goal and suddenly our task becomes a lot more difficult. So, I would expect Matom and him, Fred to start. It wouldn't surprise me if we go with the same lineup that we did this weekend against West Ham because I think Solskjaer will probably want to, to keep Greenwood in the side, and I'm not sure he'll risk any of the players coming back from injury yeah. on the start.
1: I mean, for me, you're going with the knowledge, not only that you have to score, but the likelihood of a 1-0 away win at, at San Siro is, is small. I mean, this is Milan side who scored against us at home and, and tend to score goals, basically. So with that knowledge, you know you have to score two to win. And uh, we spoke about this, after, I can't remember which game it was after. It, it was very recently, but I spoke about how organised United seemed to thrive in chaos because we're that kind of team. We, we counterattack. we, we play better when we've got space to play in. If we go in there with the knowledge, we, I mean, pretty, pretty certain we have to score two goals to go through. It feels like we should just go out and create moments of chaos, periods of chaos. That's not to say the whole game can be 90 minutes because we can't do that. You can't have an end-to-end game for 90 minutes and come out of it basically alive or going through. But if United can get, out there and in the first 10-15 minutes create a period of chaos and try score and if we concede one then that's fine but we've got our goal and then at 1-1 we know we just need one goal to win that is the kind of approach I'd be going for but on the other hand my, my job's not on the line so
0: <laughs> I mean I I think it, it makes sense everything you're saying about you know kind of go for it because Milan scoring once doesn't change our our task that much you know it just simply means we have to score one more which you'd back us to score two goals most of the time especially against a team like Milan who aren't just going to sit back and and hope for the best I think the the difficulty is just you saw say for example against Leipzig away in the Champions League earlier this this season that if we do try and come out and make a fast start we are vulnerable at the back and it's not impossible that we could be Two or three nil down after you know fifteen yeah. minutes, which I, and I know I know that's an unlikely scenario, but it's not completely out of the question. I think what you'll end up seeing is probably a pretty cagey first half yeah. with both teams not wanting to fully show their hand, and then the second half becoming a lot more into when with probably a few few substitutes coming on to change the game. But I do agree with you that the strength of this team is is our attack. It always has been our attack, and it will be for the foreseeable future. And it makes more sense to, to rely on that, create those opportunities and those moments in the game where we do thrive in, as, as you put it, moments of chaos, you know, where we can create those counter attacking situations where we can create space for ourselves to operate in. It does make sense, but it's such a difficult, it's such a difficult mindset to enter a game yeah. like this in because there is just such a natural sort of nature to be more risk averse in situations yeah, like this. yeah.
1: If you yeah, you're right. If you ask me what I'm going to predict, it's it's as you say a KGF. What I would do is, is or what I would hope for is, is different. I guess maybe if United had a full strength team, it would also be easier to say right. Let's go out there and and score a few goals straight away and and, and sort this out. Unfortunately, that that isn't the case. We can't it, it, say we're starting with Martial, Rashford, Cavani, Pogba, Bruno. And Matic, then suddenly you're thinking, all right, yeah, let's go and assert ourselves. But with a tired and rotated team, an injury hit team, that's much more difficult. Very quickly, do you think we're going through? Yes. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go, yes, as well. I'm, I'm comfortable. This United team gets to semi finals and that's where we go out, not, not at this stage of the competition. <laughs> um, well,
0: <laughs> I'm going to go, I'll go for a, a, a 3-1 win. There's actually a lot more nervous than an actual, than a 3-1 scoreline. Right. Yeah. Like. The
1: kind where we get a, a late third goal, having been nervously hanging on it. Yeah. At, I'm thinking yeah.
0: like Everton in the FA Cup kind of, uh, kind of, yeah. Right. Like goal yeah. Situation.
1: I Yeah. We'd all take that. Um, after Milan is Leicester in the FA Cup quarter final, I say we go out in semi finals. That will be a very difficult game. Um, we'll be previewing that in a patron special bonus episode after the Milan game. Leicester will be difficult. There's no doubt about that. But for now, sights set on Milan and then we can think about Leicester. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, for more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at
0: at UTD Tate T-A-I-T
1: and me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D and if you go there you'll find out information about how to become a patron and get that bonus episode on Thursday and also get the uh, bonus Q&A that we're about to record where we'll talk about Pogba and finishing in the top four but for now have a great week enjoy Thursday night goodbye